Okay, so this is now the fifth episode of our discussion of crime and punishment. I almost said Pride and Prejudice there, of crime and punishment. <laughs> um, yeah, as with the last one, I don't think we need to explain what this is. If anyone starts in episode five, you only have yourself to blame. Start with episode one. By the way, Antonio, today I think was my record for finishing reading the part latest to our recording. Because <laughs> I literally finished reading this 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did finish it. That's all. Yes, that I finished it. And yeah, so the, but this is unusual because like in the first three episodes, I think I finished reading it a few days before the recording. So I had a bit of like distance to it, which can be good, you know, because you can look at it more from the bird's eye perspective, maybe. But then you also forget details. Whereas right now I've got the details all in my head i have so yeah we'll see uh so anyway as always i think i i wrote down a brief summary uh so i'm gonna briefly remind everyone of what happened in the five chapters chapter one for some reason is from lucian's perspective which is something new but lucian gives sonia 10 rubles and suggests to help her and her family financially then this guy lebeziatnikov or however you pronounce his name and Lucien talked quite a lot. <laughs> and at the end, then, Lucien seems to plan something. At least that's what Lebeziatnikov thinks, um, even though he, at the time, doesn't know what. Then chapter two, um, we're at the funeral banquet of Marmeladov. To prove how noble Katarina Ivanovna is, she basically insults half of her guests and keeps saying how great her heritage is. Raskolnikov didn't say anything in the entire chapter, even though he sat there for about half of it. Chapter 3, Lucien arrives at the banquet and accuses Sonia of stealing 100 rubles from him. Then Lebeziatnikov and Raskolnikov accuse Lucien of planting the money in Sonia's pocket so that Raskolnikov looks bad for associating with Sonia and therefore Lucien looks better for starting a fight with Raskolnikov and can maybe get back together with Raskolnikov's sister. Chapter 4 is now the big one, I think. Raskolnikov tells Zonia that he killed the two women and they discuss the, his motives for doing so. Uh, Raskolnikov and Sonia then basically decide to be together, um, as you do. And then Lebeziatnikov enters. And chapter 5, then basically Katarina Ivanova makes... Is just going complete insane uh, and makes a huge scene in the streets uh, where she basically forces her crying children to sing and dance some stuff so they can basically earn money. And when she falls, she just seems to be basically dying from her consumption. And then everyone congregates, congregates in Zonia's room, at which point Svitrigailov turns up and says, oh yeah, two things, Raskolnikov. Number one, I'll pay for the funeral and I'll make sure the children are fine. Oh, and by the way, I heard your confession to Zanya that you killed them. And that's the end of our five. <laughs> Once again, sorry, I, I already said this last time, but there's too many names in this book. Yeah. <laughs> I keep having to look up who is who. It's just so bad. Also, there's four Ivanovnas. I just realized it's, yeah, it's too many. I agree. I, um, what, what did you think about, about this part? 
Um, I th in a way, I feel like it's very similar to the previous parts in terms of how I liked it, in that uh, it always starts off with a lot of talking That's and right. people being really annoying. <laughs> Just people, yeah, again, like uh, I'll get to that a bit more later, but. Again, most people here are not likable characters and they just talk such nonsense the entire time and just so obnoxious. But then he usually ends the chap the parts really well by really advancing the plot and ending on a cliffhanger. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it it very uh, very much had the same feeling, especially the beginning, um, with Lucin just talking and um with his flatmate and it just didn't progress. It was page after page. <laughs> Um, and I was like, why is this leading and why is this relevant? Yeah. In hindsight, you know why it's relevant, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a slow start. And then it picked up quite a lot towards the end. And it obviously ends with a cliffhanger. So, yeah, but also the whole, I mean, so, you know, I think we talked about it last time or the time before something that basically no one is likable in this book, almost no one. And I always felt like Katarina Ivanovna was a kind of medium case, um, where she, it's a tough life, right? If you basically have to, if your husband, as should we say, from, from the way she was described in the first few parts, it seemed to me like she actually got really unlucky, basically, kind of that her husband turned out to be such a drunk and then basically lost everything the family had and what she and he had been working for and that she really got the bad end of the stick, but, in this part, she's just so obnoxious the entire time. I mean, sure, she's upset because of her husband's funeral and no one of the people who she hoped who would turn up turned up and only the poor people came. But that whole thing's kind of part of the problem. She's just such an arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> she's just so like, I'm above everyone here. Although I did have the impression early on in the previous parts that she was not a very cunning caring char character because in the end of the day i think it was her who made sonia leave the home because she didn't want sonia to be in the family home. yeah anymore. but i don't know somehow I, yeah this was the first part where i really thought like oh god hmm. Hmm. yeah i mean the whole i mean this is a general thing that i realized there's quite a lot of talk about some people being superior to others in this part um, and I guess it's kind of already there in the previous ones, but, or maybe in general in this book. So there's this whole, you know, this whole discussion that, um, Raskolnikov and Porfiry Petrovich had about the, the article that Raskolnikov wrote, right? That some people should be allowed to do certain things or that kind of thing. That some yeah. people are, bar, are above others. And there's here also this whole thing where in this part, um, when talking to Zonia, he talks about how, he wanted to test whether he was like a real human or just a, what's the term they use? Not a roach, but a leech? No, so, so, uh, some sort of insect or something. And then also it occurred to me that the whole thing about Katarina Ivanovna is that she feels like she's a, she always said like, oh, I'm from a noble family. I'm better than these people. This shouldn't happen mm -hmm. to me. I'm not poor and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it only occurred to me like when these two parts were kind of back to back that there's actually quite a bit of discussion here. Well, not necessarily discussion, but that a lot of the characters seem to think that they're kind of above everyone else. Yeah, that's true. And it's a bit of a yeah theme of the book, isn't it? The, the, the question what whether some people are allowed to do certain actions, whether it's justified to do certain things when you're a certain person. So I can I can see that. 
And it seems that Dostoevsky does not think that that's the case because the people who make those arguments seem to make some pretty poor decisions. That's true. I mean, for example, the whole thing with Razumikin or whatever, right? He seems to be like one of the most, one of the kindest characters in the books. You never hear him go, you know, oh, I'm such a great person or whatever. Like he just seems to try and help. True. Um, so what did you think of the confession scene? Um, let me just check my notes there. Because previously we've been discussing his motives or also the, I think last time we discussed maybe the time before, whether he, we asked whether he was felt sorry for it, whether what, what his motives were, whether he regrets the action, etc. And I think there's some definitely, yeah, it's the first time actually we talk, hear him talk about it and his, his reasoning or rationale behind killing. Well, that's the question though, right? I mean, I, I know what you're getting at, like the whole thing. There's this passage I also wrote it out um, where he says he did it all for himself or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't kill for my mother, I didn't kill for my sister or anything, I just killed. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's, the difficult part here to me is that this is something he's now saying a few days after the fact. Whereas, bef I mean, I think basically he he's trying to come up with why he did it and he's trying to figure out why he did it and this is one interpretation i don't know whether he believes it or that's interesting because i didn't have the the same impression for me it was very much linking back to his the paper he's written or the article he's written about that some extraordinary people are allowed to to do certain deeds or commit certain crimes in in order to do something and um the majority of the people common people who are not extraordinary and not allowed to to do these things and they have to abide by the law and for me this confession sounds like that he was indeed testing his assumption about himself that he was one of these extraordinary people and this is why he kind of compared himself to napoleon or wanted to act in line with with napoleon um and just grab what he wants to to reach a greater goal which his idea is that he needs money to establish himself and then he will become a, a great lawyer of some sort and go through university etc so he wants he thinks this is the the ultimate aim which is worth killing for him but the whole action to me seems like he wanted to test this or wanted to show that this is the case yeah but after killing her he realizes that he's not an extraordinary person and he's not napoleon which is why he yeah fell into despair after the, so end I of the murder. kind of agree and also not so i mean yes he says that and he links it to those things. And from the way what he tells Zonia, it seems very much like that that's the case. And it kind of fits to what he also, you know, the discussion, yeah, that he had with Porfiry Petrovich. So that all makes sense. But again, he never thought about these things before he was doing the action. You know, we saw his, his, we, we saw his actions and what he was thinking before he was doing it. And he never once thought about this. So I feel like if this really had been his motives, then why didn't we hear about this before? 
But we don't really like, there's only so much we hear about his thoughts before the mur- murder. And then it might be that, you know, I think this whole idea of thinking or thought process started much earlier than the beginning of the book, right? We didn't really know about this article until part yep. three or four, I don't know. So it might be true. Maybe when the moment where the book starts is already way into this thought process and maybe already at a stage where he's not very clear but the way he describes it also he dis- he talks about these days or weeks where he was just lying in his he had stopped studying but didn't really intend to work but he was just lying in his flat or his room thinking so we don't know anything about this period and it could be that this is where he thought all this through yeah. came up with this so, idea. I mean, I think the, 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 the slight problem I have with that is not that it couldn't be the case or that we know that it's not the case or whatever. I mean, like, we, you know, I think as we discussed in part one, it's very, or part one or part two, we really don't know his motives, right? It's it's very, I think in part one, it's not super clearly defined why he does or not. And I understand that, you know, as that the Dostoevsky structure of the book, that it kind of starts with a lot of action, right? He doesn't start with Raskolnikov lying in his bed for months. It starts with the actual, with the crime, more or less. And so I stand like from that, from a dramatic perspective, it makes sense to start with the crime and not like have all this build up to it, right? Like that, that makes complete sense to me. And I think it's a good dramatic choice. But I think, and I'm not saying like, obviously he did think about these things before. And he did um, write that article, and I, I guess my point is more like he want, he had those thoughts before, but then when he actually committed the action, he seemed largely devoid of it. He seemed to be, it seemed to me, he was more focused on the money before he did it. Like if I remember correctly, in part one, I think it was more like he was just in part one. I got the impression he was just poor and wanted money. Now he. In this, in part five, now he actively disagrees with that and says, like, it wasn't for the money. Like, I haven't even taken any of the money. I haven't done this or that. But I just don't buy it, really, to be honest. I feel like he he's had these thoughts, and for some reason he killed her, but it's just very unclear why he did what he did. So do you think that he's lying to Sonia, or is he himself trying to make sense of his actions in hindsight in a way and kind of like um explaining his own actions i think it's more in hindsight. i don't think he's like i think he's just i mean for most of the book he's just completely confused about everything he's you know he can't string two clear thoughts together i think he's just very desperate and i mean also like, as you said like he spent like months in his bed just lying around like you're not thinking when you're lying in your bed for months, you're just ruminating. And like, if you want to like really figure something out, don't lie in your bed for several months and just not do anything all day. That's not how you gain clarity over something. I've tried. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, he isn't thinking about it. Like he's, I think if he really had been the person who wanted to test this theory, the book would have been written very differently. I would have made him like at least I like it seems to me if you really want to test this thing you 
because that would have been an interesting book too. You could have said something like, you have this very clear-minded guy who has this theory and tests it and then goes through psychological turmoil and realizes it doesn't work. And that can be a very interesting book in its way too. But it seems to me more he was just in turmoil the entire time, committed a murder during this, and is now going like, oh, maybe it's I was testing this theory, but I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, he just doesn't seem clear enough in his mind for me to be for that to be the the main reason. But maybe it could have just been some set. I wonder whether you need to be clear to have sense of grandeur because he could have just been like very manic in a sense that he felt like he was this extraordinary Napoleon-like person and yeah and I mean that actually makes sense in terms of what I said earlier with Katarina Ivanovna in that both her and I mean she really reverts to this whole I'm superior to everyone because my dad was whatever when she's most desperate you know when she's really desperate that's when she starts having this sense of grandiosity about herself and it seems to me maybe that for Raskolnikov it was the same thing that he was getting really desperate and then came up with this whole thing well maybe I'm better than everyone else anyway see what I mean yeah I don't know whether that's the case, but but again, he. Yeah. I mean, the thing that really like. I don't think this. I think the first time we heard of this, sorry, in part one. So I mean, in part one, the if I remember correctly, the question of whether it's okay to murder someone, kind of for the greater good, let's say, is already mm-hmm. addressed because we, you know, Raskolnikov mem- remembers overhearing a conversation between that those two people in the pub right where the one guy says like well this old lady is really mean she has all this money she doesn't use it she abuses her sister all that kind of stuff right mm-hmm. so we already had a glimpse into that this is a theme or that these are might be some motives that go through Raskolnikov's head but we never had this whole thing about whether he's superior or not in part one like yeah I feel like I should have been mentioned in part one if that was really part of his thinking at the time i think at the time he just wanted i don't know resentful angry at being poor or whatever i don't know but then that brings back the question why didn't he work you know if he was only desperate because there's never really a clear reason for why he didn't look for some sort of employment so because he thinks it's below him or yeah because of probably like the problem of poverty might have been solved differently yeah i mean i mean here's the thing i i'm to me it's just completely unclear why he killed them well i guess maybe it could also be a combination of both right so he was in a desperate situation he needed the money but also he felt like he deserved he was superior he deserved better life he had some sort of vision what he wanted to do and he felt like he could be a napoleon and then did it so yeah i mean maybe that's yeah maybe the frustration that he felt came from the fact that he thought this shouldn't happen to me like i'm Mm -hmm. not the person who should be in this situation who would have who has to like teach to gain his money or whatever i don't know i'm not saying it's not part of the you know i mean like every decision 
especially if about if it's about a big topic, it's very complex and involves lots of moving parts. But I think one point is more that I think he makes it a bit too easy for himself. Yeah. Although maybe yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think now I'm getting as confused as he is. Um, <laughs> so I'm probably going to go kill some old ladies. Yeah. Do you also, when reading this part about his confession, find it very strange that he talked about the murders if he'd only murdered the pawnbroker and not Elisaveta, the sister? Wait a second. You said it sounds like he only killed the pawnbroker. Yeah, he he talked about about the murders if he'd only killed one one person. But he does start off. I don't know. I, in the beginning, I had the opposite that I thought he only talked about killing Lisaveta, because he said like because you know the whole confession kind of started off by him saying like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, you want to know who killed your friend, basically, right? So I yes, think it just shifts. It starts off by that, and then yeah, but then it shifts. So then in the end, he's like when he gets to the nitty gritty, or at least when he gets to the confession, he talks about. It sounds like he, because in a way, that's the only thing he'd really thought through, right? The second murder was just yep. a bad, you know, like a coincidence in a way. Um, a big whoops. And 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 then yeah, exactly. And then the but the other thing is the one that he, um, the murder of the pawnbroker is the one he had planned, and or has he planned yep. it? We don't don't really know. But no, he did plan it, but not yeah, not well. to, to to some extent. So. I found that very peculiar why he starts off by discussing or commit, admitting that he had murdered the sister, but then the confession is actually not about the murder of the sister. But that makes sense, though, right? I mean, basically, he says like he wants to. He he says that he killed the sister, and then said, "But I didn't mean to. I was doing this other thing." And then, you know, I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? He says like, "I didn't mean to do it." Well, he didn't really say she happened to be there while I was killing the other person. Um, he doesn't explicitly link it quite that much, but I mean, that makes sense to me, right? Yeah, I think I was just hoping for some sense of, or some some apology or some some sense of. Um, I tell you, you don't know what's going to come it. well. <laughs> no, but this actually relates to something that I wanted to, that I wrote down, which is. Um, wait, give me a second. I wrote down the page number. Jesus, it's a long confession. Yeah, so he never actually says that he killed in the beginning, right? He's just like, do you want to make a guess who killed your friend? She's like, dude, <laughs> what are you doing? Hmm. And then uh, he basically says, like, well, take a good look, right? And then she realizes that she 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 realizes then, like, oh, God, that's what the guy did. She looks at him again to be sure about what's happening. And so she just realized that he murdered her friend, right? And then the first thing he says after that is, enough, Sonia, enough, don't torment me. It's always about him. It is. This is page sorry, 494. It's all like, even like, he, like he, he just confessed to killing someone's friend and then he immediately makes it about how he's suffering. Yeah, I, I realized that as well. Yeah, he's... And, and he, yeah, he doesn't feel yeah. any remorse, yeah. And I think also he's very, he's not open at all, right? So he wants to decide how much he gives away and how much, to what extent things are discussed and talked about. And then as soon as she wants to kind of like... What do you mean by that? Um... So 
Where's the part that you did you refer to? I read page 494. So yeah, what I meant by this is like, he says enough, sorry, enough done torment me. So he kind of like cuts her off. Well, she, I don't think she actually says anything, right? Doesn't she just look at him? And she just looks at him and goes like, oh, fuck, he actually did it. And then, yeah. Yeah. Well, she just says, Lord. Yeah. yeah. But I guess what I mean is that he want, he um, he wants to be in control of where the, the conversation or this like, interaction is going, I guess. And he, on one hand, wants to be honest with her and tell her what he's done. But on the other hand, he also doesn't want her to punish him or, or torment him. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like the uh, most of that conversation and most of the him, I mean, he already tried to tell her in the last part, right? And I think both of those conversa conversations revolve mainly around him trying to tell her and not being able to. I mm. think he's just, he's, he, I mean, he obviously wants to tell her or maybe just anyone, uh, but he definitely wants to tell her in this instance. And I think, it's it's difficult to confess to a murder, to a double homicide. Mm. Um, so I think he basically just never quite has the guts to do it. So that's kind of how I read most of the scene, is him just basically, he wants to do something that's really difficult to do and just can't really. So he does it in the most awkward way or roundabout way possible. Yeah. How do you feel about how the scene ends? Because she basically wants him to... You know, she's obviously very religious and she wants him to confess and receive the punishment he, he deserves and therefore, you know, deal with his sin. Um, so there's two things. The first thing is, two things I was thinking of when I heard this. The first was when I heard, when I read this. Um, the first is that Zonia is, you know, the most religious character in the book and probably the she's the only one who's like obviously openly religious frequently mm -hmm. i think so right and askonikov is confessing to her right she's basically taking the the role of a priest who he's mm -hmm. he's not confessing to her in anonymity right in that sense that a priest would not allow to be to tell anyone mm -hmm. but i think that's basically you know that's what he wants to do right he wants to talk about it he wants to get it off his mind and he wants to tell someone about what he did and i think that's kind of the role she's taking there almost as someone who he feels he can confide in and mm -hmm. he kind of is confessing his sins right that's kind of what he's doing but he's doing it in a way that i think he hopes is he's going to get away with it and not um i don't know the whole assumption is that she's not going to tell the police right mm -hmm. i think or not i don't know because Laskolikov did a lot of stuff that suggests he kind of wants to get caught. <laughs> so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that, I mean, this isn't really like a full point, but like one thing I noticed that, so we talked about, with, you know, I think mentioned it in this episode already twice, that Zonia is probably one of the most likable characters in the book, uh, or Razumikin. These seems to be the only two people who are kind of nice <laughs> to people <laughs> and not insane and annoying. Um, and she's also the most religious character. And it seems to me, so I heard, I, I once saw this meme. It was something like, 
um, Dostoevsky drawing in like young, like atheistic people or something with a lot of this like nihilistic talk, and then bashing them over the head with um, Catholic <laughs> doctrine or whatever. Um, and it seems to me like it's maybe not a coincidence that the most likable character almost in the book is the most religious. And I wonder whether this is almost the way Dostoevsky thinks people should behave. Um, yeah, not sure. Yeah. I mean, this is, we don't really know because she, she happens, she's the most likable, the most selfless and the most religious. However, I don't think this should be a suggestion that if every, everybody just blindly follows religion, everything would be great. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I don't, this is not a proper point I'm making, I guess what I'm saying. I just saw this meme once and I haven't read enough of Dostoevsky. Mm. And this kind of made me think, it just made me think of it that maybe also this is going to come back a bit. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think she's definitely not the smartest person. She's not critical in a sense. I think she's... I mean, isn't she basically just a helpless Razumikin? They both kind of help quite a bit, but Razumikin actually like actively does stuff. Whereas yeah. she seems to just be... I mean, she's basically a kid, right, who's been forced into prostitution. Mm. She's very kind, but not very capable, maybe. That's yeah. the way of putting it. Um, you just feel like you just feel sorry for her, basically, right? Yeah, and I think like in the end of this chapter, when she wants to work, him to wear her cro a cross that she's yeah she's giving to him, which I think is just a symbol of him yeah. bearing his cross. Yeah, and um, committing his sins, and yeah, bearing the, the cross and dealing with the aftermath in a way that's ethical or moral. But then he says, give it to me. But he he only says, give it to me because he doesn't want to upset her. And then he says, I will put it on later. So yeah. we don't we don't really believe him. So he he pretends, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all the right things. But not right now. I'm going to do it later. And she believes him. Um, she says, yes, yes, better, better. She echoed enthusiastically. So I think this is just shows quite nicely actually that she's not critical and, and smart at all because all the other characters would have been, you know, like, no, you wear it now. I know you're not going to wear it yeah. later. Yeah, it's it's probably the, that the, those like two sentences are almost the best description of Raskolnikov and of Sonia. Her yeah. just being like naively believing in pe in people doing the right thing and him just not just like not taking responsibility for his actions or mm. yeah maybe he will who knows yeah but yeah i doubt it well yeah maybe he will be forced to do so because as we know now there's not only sonia but also second person who's heard the confession yeah i have to admit that part really annoys me because it's just uh like in terms of just storytelling. Maybe it's what will happen differently in part six, but now what's kind of annoying is that Svitrigailov is kind of, I mean, he's a bit of a shit stirrer in that he like offers money to Raskolnikov's sister to not marry Lucien. But the other function he seems to have is just to by coincidence living next to it and overhearing this thing 
and then being able to, I don't know, blackmail Raskolnikov or something. What mm -hmm. I would find much more interesting is, and I'm kind of surprised that this happened, hasn't happened yet at all, but that there seems to be no moral dilemma in Zonia whether she should tell the police about this. Yeah. That for me would be interesting if, if someone else was again forced to go through something bad because of Raskolnikov's actions. So last time I already mentioned that I kind of was assuming the entire time someone was going to falsely be accused of committing the crime and would have to suffer because of Raskolnikov's actions. Mm -hmm. uh, or rather, sorry, that's slightly differently. I mean, he killed people, they already suffered through his actions. But someone basically having to bear the burden of his sins, if you want to put it religiously, mm -hmm. as that young guy... Uh, Mikulai, whatever his name was. God, I'm getting so good at remembering names. Mm -hmm. uh, happened at the at the end of the last part. And I thought like, okay, now like with Zonia knowing about this, it would be interesting to see whether she is going to have some sort of moral conflict, whether she should help someone whom she clearly likes and who seems to like her, even though he basically is mean to her always. And her having to make the decision whether she should tell the police or not. But now it seems to go more towards someone happened to hear it and then he's going to tell the police or something like that. Although I don't think that would have been sufficient because I think there are two things, two systems of law in a sense. One of them is the government, so Legal. the justice system. And the other one is the Bible. And I think she's less concerned about... Right. Yeah. Abiding to the law and the justice system, then she is to abiding to God's law. So, in that sense, she wants to convince him to, you know, bear the cross, commit to sins, etc. But They're not commit sins. <laughs> Uh, not commit, admit. <laughs> <Antonia>. <laughs> don't, don't encourage him. <laughs> no, no, no. Ad, ad, yeah, admit that he that he murdered the women, etc. And yep. you know, um, that would be the moral thing to do. And for her, it's important to convince him of the right actions. But I don't think she's so concerned about him actually, you know, going to the police. The police I mean, just she happens never even to be. About it, right? Pardon. She never thought about it. There's no discussion in the entire part of her going yeah. like, oh, yeah, maybe I should tell... Like, she doesn't even think... Yeah, we don't know. But I think the, the way I read her character, I don't... I wasn't surprised that there was no moral dilemma because it doesn't seem to be... That's her biggest concern. I think for me, it seems like her biggest concern is whether he's going to end up in heaven or not. Because he... Which seems unlikely, let's be honest. Yeah, but but I think a bigger concern is his, yeah. Yeah, no, the, okay, that's, that is a fair point. I think, so yeah, you're right in terms of the character. Yeah, she cares more about God than a judge. But I, th I think I also meant it more in terms of just storytelling from Dostoevsky's perspective. There were a few things in this part, and there's another one I'll get to later, that kind of annoyed me where I thought like, ah, oh, dude, can't you just write this like a little bit better? Like it wouldn't be like you just have to take out a few bad parts. And so there's this whole thing in in storytelling. Oh God, what's this called now? The Deus Ex Machina uh, is a concept where basically that 
I think it's just usually very poor storytelling. Basically, you have a story that goes towards a really bad end and then God just comes in and solves it, right? Or like someone mm-hmm. who has nothing to do with the story comes in, like the white knight comes, kills all the bad people and then everything's good. It's like, like you, you have this, like this story and this drama within the story and then just something from outside comes and just completely changes everything, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just a solistic device that you can use. And I think it's almost always a bad idea. <laughs> um, it's always just kind of lame. Maybe the only exception being Monty Python when uh, they ran out of money to shoot the rest of the film. So they just like, just made one scene where the police comes into the Middle Ages and shoots everyone or something. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's, it's, I think it's usually when it happens, it's always really disappointing because you kind of want to see how the story ends, but then it ends with, yeah, basically God just solving the mm, problem. And mm. here it's kind of the opposite almost in a way to me that it's not that God, like uh, the white knight comes in and saves everything, but you have this like dramatic story and then this random guy turns up who just has nothing to do with the story and just happens to live in the room next door and now has this information. I don't know, it just seems like... Yeah. Yeah. I can see your point, but I think it's going to get a bit more complex because we still don't know what his motives were to come to St. Petersburg in the first place. Yeah, that is the, yeah, I was about to say that the, the slight, the thing that makes it a bit better is the fact that he is involved in their hometown story um, mm-hmm. of, nope, don't remember what the his wife was called, um, who was died. Like you know, there there is a bit more to it. It's it's not a complete uh, God solve the problem solves the problem, but it is. It just seems right now it seems a bit unnecessary to be honest. Yeah. I think if, like if this is a, like a psychological drama, I'm not sure you'd need that person because I don't know. I mean, like the, I've said it before. I think in the last parts that to me Raskolnikov never seemed concerned about anything that he did. He seemed more concerned about whether he get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, and that as soon as basically it turned out there wasn't any real evidence, he calmed down a lot. And he's also been much more coherent in this part again, especially like when he accused Lucin of, uh, you know, why he would do this to Zonia and put the money in the thing. Like he was, again, he, he spoke very eloquently again. And all of this, his, him speaking like a proper person, all of this happened after he found out there's no real evidence against him. So in a way, you might say that without someone like Svidrigailov who can apply a bit of pressure, Raskolnikov's just not going to do anything. He's just going to get go free. So I don't know. Um, but we don't even know whether he's going to apply any pressure because right in the, the very last thing he says is, and you'll see what an accommodating fellow I am. You'll see that I'm not so very hard to get along with. Dot, dot, yeah, dot. but that's basically so. him saying he's. I mean, come on, Antonio, I think you're being a bit too nice here. If a guy comes in and says, Oh, yeah, I heard about your murder, I'm sure we'll get along fine. That's basically him saying, I've got you. You have to do whatever I tell you to do. Yeah, but we don't know exactly what he was going to do and whatever, because it seems to me he has some Ooh, do you bigger think motive. He, he denied it, but do you think maybe he wants to marry Raskolnikov's sister? Yeah that's a possibility but there's something I don't think yeah he the murder is his biggest concern but he was just lucky because in reality there's something else that he wants to achieve or do and now he's got a bit of leverage 
Yeah, I mean, he see, I mean, he wasn't he kind of borderline accused of killing his wife? I can't remember yeah. exactly. So I, I also don't think he. I mean, let's put it this way: if I overhear, not me specifically, but if one overhears a murder, and there, oh, sorry, the confession of a murder, and then doesn't go to the police but starts talking to the person who confessed about it, you can be pretty sure that that person is kind of fine with illegal stuff. Mm. I don't. Yeah, he's. <laughs> He's going to use this to his own advantage, and I guess we'll see what that exactly is going to be. But yeah, um, yeah. Did you have any other points you wanted to discuss? Um, let me see. I have an entire page worth of comments. Um, oh yeah, so this is something that really surprised me. Actually, sorry, I need to very briefly do a proper online study uh, of research right now. Give me a second. Wait, wait, almost Crime and Punishment published. Um, 1866. Yeah. So this is what really surprises me. In part one, they talk about Darwin. So this book was published in 1866, and my very quick internet research just revealed that Darwin's Origin of Species was published in 1859. So I was just really surprised that a book by an English guy about biology was so famous seven years later that a Russian novelist assumed that regular people in St. Petersburg would be talking about this. I don't know. This is just something I went like, huh, I didn't expect this to Yeah, but wasn't that, like, that fast. Yeah, very influential in the sense that like he very much changed how people thought about evolution. Yeah, of so, course. Um, and I know it was controversial when it came out and it, and it kind of yeah. almost makes sense that it's controversial because of the whole religious thing, right? And this all comes in this part of discussion where Lucin and Lebziatnikov, <laughs> whatever his name is, mm -hmm. talk about all these things about politics and whatever. So it kind of makes sense that maybe they would know about it more than others. It's just, I don't know, I just... Like, it makes sense that now something would spread very fast, but I just didn't assume that in the 1860s or 70s. Yeah, but he was an educated... Dostoevsky was educated and it seems like he was very much interested in new new schools of thoughts, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not It's. I'm not even that surprised that Dostoevsky found out of it. I'm just surprised mm -hmm. that like he would put it in a book that pe like regular people would read, and they're like, oh yeah, Darwin. Like, I know mm. that it was already common knowledge almost, you know, like as if like if you now write about something that happened seven years ago, which is 2014, you know, obviously stuff would go into common knowledge. But mm. yeah, I know that was just one thing that really surprised me there. Um, oh, yeah. So I just have like random points now. Uh, this is something I actually meant to say in one of the earlier parts already. Um, I don't know, Antonio. Uh, whether you had this realization too, but so we're, recor we're recording this during one of various COVID lockdowns. And it's just funny to me how comfortable people are sitting next to someone who's basically dying from like a lung infection or whatever. Mm. <laughs> like the entire book is just people are dying from like terrible things. It happens a few times yeah. and everyone just sits next to them and goes like, as if like this, as if, I mean, they yeah. know about infections and stuff, right? It's just, I think, I think, well, I, I think two things. We are now hyper aware of these things, and yeah, exactly. somebody describing a cough in a book, you know, it's like alarm well, bells she was ringing. Blood. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like it's it's what we are, we are now super sensitive to this topic. But yeah. then also, I feel that back then people didn't know 
as much about transmission as we do now for sure and um no i mean like even now i mean this is more comment about like how the not even about the book but more like how the pandemic changes you reading a classic yeah because you know like if someone was like coughing or sneezing a few times in your office you wouldn't think much of it a year ago right yeah but now it's like god damn it it's been a year in the pandemic more than a year ago um Mm -hmm. but two years ago but like now it's just if someone's coughing blood in my office i'd say hey do you want to (laughs) maybe go see a doctor (laughs) isolate (laughs) yeah Yeah. but the other thing is and this is something i think it's a it's when the Marmeladov guy dies. This is my favorite part, I think, in the entire book, and I just never got around to mentioning it. But now that we're talking about medicine, I can mention, mention it, which is, so he's, he was hit by this, or over, trampled over by horses and a cart, right? And he has, like, all these wounds all over his body, and he's bleeding. And Raskolnikov, like, made all this effort to say, like, yeah, I'll pay for the doctor. Let's let the doctor come in. And then the doctor comes in and says, oh, no, this isn't looking good. I could let some blood, but I don't think it's going to work. It's like, yeah, someone is already bleeding really strongly. Don't like let blood, baby. Yeah. And I loved how he, he just always said it like, it's an option we have, but I don't think it's going to help. He's already. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Don't, he's already lost like a pint of blood. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. take more no, out right. of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love reading old things and realizing how stupid people are and then realizing that the same applies to us and people yeah. look back to what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, very much. most of the stuff we do is dumb, even to contemporaries, but um, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's a good point to finish. We're yeah. all dumb. <laughs> In some that's a very good point, yes. Let's always remember that because unlike Oskolnikov and Katarina Ivanovna, we don't think we're inherently superior to anyone else. <laughs> it's a good note to finish on. Yeah, but I, I think, Antonio, we do have to continue our tradition of uh, spending one or two minutes thinking about what's going to happen next. Um, oh, it's always finale. Yeah, so we, there's an epilogue, right, after that, but we're mm-hmm. now reaching the last part. Uh, so maybe let's start with the question we've had every single time now. Is he going to get arrested? I think I think it will come out um, either by somebody telling the police or him just getting to a point where he hands himself to the police. Okay, so you think he's, I mean, coming out not in terms of like, I mean, he already confessed it to two people, right? In a way, it is already out, but yeah. in terms of like, you mean the police is going to know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is called crime and punishment. Mm. Um, so it's been surprising little punishment so far. But you think, yeah, but just it's going to, the police is going to know not they're going to arrest, incarcerate, I don't know, what they do back then to murderers, probably kill him. I imagine the death penalty is still a thing in 1870s Russia. Maybe that happens in the epilogue. (laughs) Nice. No, but I think that uh, what he thinks is going to happen is that he's going to go to Siberia to the labor camps, no? He mentioned this in his confession. confession. I, is it about that? I always wondered. I mean, well, they said, I'll go to Siberia, but wasn't that just a metaphor? Like, I'll go I'll, I'll go with you wherever. Uh, I thought it was going to Siberia to labor camps. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but, but I might be wrong. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. So then, okay, there's a few more plot lines uh, that we can talk about for 10 seconds each. Maybe not that many, actually, but... So, Svetrigailov, 
what do you think he's going to do? Um, I don't, really don't understand his motive. I, the only one I could think of would be something like he wants to marry Raskolnikov's sister, sister or something along the lines. But other than that, I don't really see what yeah what this goal is. Yeah, I think so. That that would be my my very risky guess now is that he's going to blackmail Raskolnikov to. Hmm. I'm not actually sure what Oskolnikov is supposed to do, but put a good word for him, I guess, mm. or something. Uh, Lucien, is he going to come back? Or is that the last we've seen of him? Mm, he's probably going to come back on the side. Something, but I don't think he is major. I think this is kind of like his prime scene. Yeah, is there any other character? Let's see. Well, the police detective, he's Pevri Petrovich. I've, I've been mm. missing him. Mm. Um, and his intentional obnoxiousness. So let's see. Just, I'm just going through the characters now where there's anyone who we've... Half of them have died so far. Katarina Ivanova, Elisaveta, Ariana Ivanova, they're all dead. Um, <laughs> Nastasia has disappeared too, the, the maid who works for... Yeah, but I don't think that she's going to reappear in any... Yeah. She was actually a kind of likable character. Marmaladov's mm. um, dead too. Jesus, so many people have died. Razumikin, do you think he's going to fulfill his dream of marry, marrying Raskolnikov's sister? Yeah, potentially. I think that could happen. But maybe that's, we're not going to maybe see a marriage, but maybe it's like, you know, it's a bit of like a. Going to make a move? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. The cool. last, uh, yeah, next next week's going to be the last. Last part, part finale. And then I guess we're going to have after that still the epilogue or maybe mm -hmm. general discussion about everything. But. This is the sixth episode now of our discussion of Crown Punishment by Dostoevsky, discussing part six. So as usual, here's a brief summary of what happened in each chapter. Chapter 1. Raskolnikov is in his flat and decides to talk to Svidrigailov to settle the situation. Razumikin is asking himself what on earth is going on with Raskolnikov. As Raskolnikov is about to leave to see Svidrigailov, Porfiry Petrovich enters Raskolnikov's room. Chapter 2. Porfiry Petrovich reveals he knows everything about the murder. He accuses Raskolnikov of being the murderer and asks him to confess. Raskolnikov doesn't, and Porfir Petrovich leaves. Chapter 3. Raskolnikov goes to see Svidrigailov. The conversation is all over the place, but Svidrigailov gets Raskolnikov... I have no idea what that's supposed to say. Ah, oh, no. Okay, so this is actually a slightly tricky problem. So, in this book, or in this part, they call Raskolnikov Rodian Romanich. And I don't know whether that's a normal thing or not, do you know? Because I noticed that Svidrigailov kept calling him Rodion Romanich, and then Svidrigailov also called him Rodion Romanich. And I can't remember seeing that before. Do you remember whether that happened before? I think so, no? Because otherwise it's Romanovich, right? But they kind of shortened it, and I don't know whether that was intentional or not. To be honest, I stopped paying close attention to the names. I just tried to, to I identify characters. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the, after the so the conversation between Raskolnikov and Svidrigailov, the conversation ends 
with Svetrigailov starting to talk about Raskolnikov's sister. I think so. I can't. That's a weird note I made. Anyway, chapter four. Svetrigailov tells Raskolnikov all about his life with Marfa Petrovna and his seducing of usually helpless women. He also talks about his new fiance, a 16-year-old child. Svetrigailov tries to leave Raskolnikov. Chapter five. Svetrigailov meets with Raskolnikov's sister at his place and reveals to her his knowledge of Raskolnikov's crimes. He blackmails Raskolnikov's sister to marry Svetrigailov and in, in return he'll save Raskolnikov or not say anything. She refuses. He won't let her out of the room. She tries to shoot him twice but fails to really hit him properly. He lets her go but picks up her gun that she left with one bullet remaining puts it in his pocket and leaves. Chapter 6. Svetigailov walks around town. Oh, yeah, this is, I think, my favorite summary. Um, it always sounds so great when you form, put it like in two sentences. Svetigailov walks around town and visits a few pubs, gets soaking wet from the rain, visits his fiance late at night, gives her 15,000 rubles, goes to a hotel, falls asleep, has two nightmares, wakes up early, walks around town and shoots himself. <laughs> uh, chapter 7 Oskonikov visits his mother and makes her understand that something is really wrong with him and he'll be gone for a long time back at his place he tells his sister he'll hand himself in chapter 8 Oskonikov goes to say goodbye to Zonia goes to Ilya Petrovich powder keg to confess hears about Svetrigailov's suicide and leaves again without confessing outside he sees Zonia returns to Ilya Petrovich and finally confesses to murdering the two women. See, a lot happened in that part. A lot of notes. Did indeed. I'm glad I wrote this down, otherwise this would have been a 20-minute retelling. Yeah. yeah. It was already like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I think we answered our question, right, whether he's going to get arrested by the police. Um, yeah. You correctly predicted it would happen. Well, I guess technically he hasn't been arrested in the book, but yeah, he's he confessed, confessed to a policeman, so mm. or a lieutenant. I don't know whether that's the same thing. What do you think about the whole suicide scene or, or chapter? That was a bit of a weird one. <laughs> Slightly unexpected. Think, yeah, it was also particularly weird because all of a sudden there was a very long part from somebody else's perspective that didn't have Raskolnikov in it at all and I was a bit confused why he yeah. of all of a sudden was center of attention for such a long time also I mean, that's, hmm? so that's like that's we had that we, I mean that's something I find a bit weird about Dostoevsky that we had it before with Lucin right where we had this one chapter between yeah. Lucin and the other guy talking for like 15 pages about fucking whatever and, but it um, seemed more relevant yeah. in hindsight and, and this just seems like it, for me this chapter raised more questions than an answer because I'm still not 100% sure I understand why he killed himself other than maybe realizing that he's a, a bad human being um, and yeah it's really weird because I mean you know in this long summary, I also still left out lots of stuff. Like, for example, that he... I mean, Svetogalov seems to be a kind of confusing character in general because he appears very dramatically, but both of us forgot who he was. 
um, and how to look it up again, then you know he's not in. He's basically only in third person until like page, what is it, two hundred or something, three hundred? I can't remember which party appears in, but he's basically not in it at all. And then th throughout parts like four, five, and six, it just slowly drifts to being more and more like that guy. And like one thing also, you know, there was always the question like, did does he actually have a fiance, right? Because he told Raskolnikov he has his fiance, he's going to marry, and blah blah blah. And I don't know whether we talked about this, but I always kind of assumed he doesn't have a fiance. <laughs> Turns out he does, and she's sixteen, and that's nice. But so it was kind of also really random to see like, oh yeah, she actually exists. Suddenly, like. Mm. just before his suicide like oh, okay he's he actually didn't, wasn't lying yeah but but also what i found confusing because all of a sudden this topic of abuse came up in a way because this is in the end what would he did right he kind of like seduced girls or, or yeah are the young ones and especially his, his fiance, and he seemed to have a bit of a yeah. I mean, seduced isn't really the word, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I can't remember exactly what the details were, but wasn't it basically he? Oh, I can't remember what happened. I mean, she was just like shit scared the entire time, right? Uh, yeah. What did he didn't? Wasn't she like sitting on his on his knee, just crying the entire time, or something like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think she was grateful in some sense that he seemed to promise her money and, and security etc but I don't think that she actually wanted to be with him but yeah yeah it, I don't know it, it's it, what I find more, most confusing is just uh, I think as you said earlier that this just became so much a part of part six why do we have to learn all the stuff about his life with Marfa Petrovna and that they had this arrangement that he could have mistresses, which basically meant the maids who worked for him. And that, um, or at least in a few cases, it was that, yeah, why do we need to know all of this? I don't know. I mean, the, the, so like, I mean, in a way, like he has the main function he has kind of like dramatically in the book, right? Is that he overhears the confession. So now you suddenly, it's not just two lovers who share knowledge about a dark secret but it's a third person who's not who has interests other than the two people right hmm. so that for me was always what i expected to be the main thing and in a way it was still a big part of it you know with raskolnikov going up hearing about svidrigailov's suicide then actually thinking oh, maybe i'll just leave then but yeah it was weird to me that that was then suddenly like almost two entire chapters were just about yeah especially so late in the book yeah i don't because there's a lot of information i feel that as you've said is not in very important for the reader to know and then he kills himself and then it ends in a way so it was a bit confusing to me to get all this information I, I mean i don't want to be too cynical but isn't it that like with writers around that time they were paid by like word count or something <laughs> i thought that was like around the time i hope dickens was around the same time i don't know when dickens lived uh but i heard that like with dickens was the same thing they were per, paid like per, per word or page or something so that like their books are sometimes longer than strictly necessary uh. i don't know whether that's <laughs> the case here i don't know but i mean i mean let's be honest we have six parts and they are all within 10 pages of each other or something. Um, could be a coincidence. 
or intentional. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it, it was a bit. I don't know. I mean, like I've, I've also heard dramatically sometimes writers will just, you know, you have this point that you're working towards this like auto dramatic moment. In this case, I guess whether, I mean, either Raskolnikov confesses or he has to do something strong has to happen for him to settle the question, basically. And basically what Dostoevsky's doing, he's, he's just delaying us getting there, right? Um, which I think is a pretty common thing to just like build tension by just making people go like, yeah, but like, how does this relate to the main thing? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a, a bit of mystery, like adding this sense of like, I mean, because, you know, in a way, lots of other things could have happened, right? What we, especially when he was, the, the chapter about his suicide, he was walking around. He seemed almost in a similar state to Raskolnikov in the beginning. He wasn't exactly thinking super straight the entire time or in a mentally stable state. He, and he had a weapon with one shot in it. And it's a question. I first thought he might shoot Raskolnikov. I didn't know. Uh, or is it like, is he going to, or is he going to shoot the, or well, he wasn't going to shoot the sister because he could have, you know, killed her before she took out the gun or after whatever. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, he could have, who knows what he could have done, right? Yeah. Although I think I expected, expected him to commit suicide. I think this one, do you know why, why I thought so? Because he had first, um, made like a, suggestion to to Sonia pretty much alluding to the Raskolnikov as two options either he kills himself or ki kills himself or he confesses mm -hmm. so the theme of suicide was brought up by him therefore but Raskolnikov had already thought that himself also right it seemed to me that part seemed to me kind of obvious in the sense that Raskolnikov had gone over the bridge and seen the woman trying to kill herself and I don't know it seemed to me like at, maybe at the time that was the thinking it's like, well, those are your two options. Yeah. Suicide or confession. Yeah. Similar today. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. No, I, I, so I never assumed it. I thought more he was going to do violence to someone else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very briefly talking about his suicide, uh, he held his gun against his temple, which is not always, the, I'm assuming, the best way to kill yourself because blowing out your prefrontal cortex is not necessarily <laughs> mortal. You have to go with the motor areas. Or your brainstem. Yeah. I'm assuming. I haven't looked at the statistics. Yeah. Well. Also, but also, like, depending on how you get it, like, I think your isn't, uh, your, I think your forehead, isn't that also, like, one of the strongest, like, bones in the human body? So, like, if you get it, like, if, you, if you're if you too far at the front. Yeah. Not a good way to Okay, ne ne next point. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just assume that. I mean, I it think we can, we, Yeah, we can assume that it worked. Good on him. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's also like, do you know what? It's almost like because we we got got told a lot of information about about him, such as that he's a weird character. He's not easy. He has like many layers to him, right? On on one level, he's in my eyes a child abuser. On the other level, and probably Madra, quite a but nice guy. <laughs> yeah, but then also, like, I don't really know his reasoning for giving away money to, to people who can really need it, which seems like a nice gesture. And, like, there's some something inside of him that makes him 
think, although it's not purely altruistic, but I don't know. He's not. He's not only. Yeah, he seems to be a bit more complex. And then when he has the nightmares that suggests that something is still, like something yeah, is, that he is was troubling him. By what he did to young children, or I can't even remember exactly. Yeah, what so I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. sure because this was again like when in the dream with the little girl. At first, I thought that he was going to abuse her because she was like he. She was super helpless. Nobody was around, and then he undressed her, and I thought, "Oh no, where's this oh, right, going?" Yeah, yeah. But then, about that part, yeah. <laughs> but then he generally, in the dream, that is, wanted to help her. But then it turned out to be a dream. So there was this bit of like ambivalence of this like young, helpless girl, which I don't know. What what did he really want, or what would? Did he want one from from people? I don't know. Um, I just feel like there is some some complexity to his character, but it's too late in the book into the book to to really discuss this in detail. Yeah, I mean, what I find weird is also that he, you know, why was he even in Saint Petersburg in the first place? It's just kind of really well for the women, no? Isn't that what he like? <laughs> That's what he says, but like. I don't know, it seems like most of the things he said seems to actually be true. But I don't know, like I I initially thought it was kind of cool to introduce him because he seemed to me to add like an air of potential violence that was kind of almost more malicious or something than other people who seemed just driven by desperation and or despair. Um, whereas he seemed like you know, suddenly there's this guy who has money who may or may not have killed his wife. But yeah, it just seems all a bit... It seems a bit random. It seems like he's he's kind of involved in all the, like, main plot lines. His sister, like, his sister's life over him being kind of the only real outside witness to Oskotnikov's initial confession, not confession, but, like, hmm. saying that he killed someone. He fits thematically. Maybe, maybe there are some parallels to Raskolnikov himself, but it kind of doesn't quite work for me. I don't know. It's like they're, they're, he has a, he has some cool scenes here and there. He kind of fits in the plot lines, but somehow it doesn't really make sense to me. Mm. Um, but to be fair, I also never really paid too much attention to him, even after the big entrance he made. That like that part was always. Uh, I think I mentioned this in an earlier part. The whole part of like the sister and Lucine never seemed that interesting to me. So in the beginning, I didn't pay much attention to it. So maybe I, I would, maybe I'd understand him more if I paid more attention to him. But right now, it seems a bit random. Hmm. What do you think about? So in the very end, Raskolnikov goes in to, to hand himself in, but then he finds out about his rigid. It's really kind of suicide, and then he decides to walk out again. I wonder what that was. Was that I didn't quite understand whether this was like he would saw some opportunity to maybe blame Svetlana Gailov for the murder. No, no. Or was it just? Pardon. The evidence against him was gone. Right. The assumption here is always that Zonia is so nice she'll never say anything to police anyway. Right. She's just put off as like so simple, and she will just do whatever he would you know she's not a danger the only evidence i mean 
Porfiry Petrovich came to Raskolnikov and said, I know it was you. I just don't have any evidence, but you'll hand yourself in. We'll get you eventually. But they have no evidence, right? So the only, the only outside evidence or, yeah, the only person who could have said anything against or that. So I don't know exactly what the, the status of evidence and eyewitness testimony was in the Russian courts of the 1960s, uh, 1860s. But I could imagine that back then, if someone says, I heard him say that he did it, then that counts quite a lot. Mm. So the way I always understood it is that, so first Raskolnikov thought, so, you know, there was this, this, this merchant or whatever who on the road said, you're the murderer. Uh, and then Raskolnikov thought like, oh shit, I'm going to get caught. This is not good. And then this other guy, Mikolai, said, confessed or whatever. It was this confusing scene. And then it turns out, or Raskolnikov realized there's actually no hard evidence against him. And then he just, he was completely calm, I think, after that, right? I think then he started speaking pretty normally and not being just all over the place and basically giving himself away all the time. But then he realized that there now is evidence because someone overheard him tell about the murder. And now I think, again, he has this, I think like he has these two conflicting things, right? The one is the kind of conscience or his guilt for having done, committed the horrible act, which I think is pretty minimal in him. And the other is the kind of, what's the probability I'm going to get caught? Hmm. And I think as soon as Svidrigailov died, he realized, I'm not going to get caught unless I hand myself in. So he left, because why would he? Yeah. There's no reason to, unless you think that, as Zonia does, and as I guess she convinces him by just standing there, um, <laughs> there's some sort of value to confessing your sins and standing up for what you did. Unless you really believe in that, there's no reason to hand yourself in, right? That and Mikolai might have gone to prison or not, I don't know. But I think as we've established, and as I'll talk a bit more about later, Skolnikov doesn't give a shit about anyone other than himself, including Mikolai, who would go to prison or whatever for his his acts. So, um, no, yeah, that, that I mean, part made complete sense to me. Like, yeah. why would he? Yeah. But then there's like this change of mind at the very, very end, because when he saw, before he goes to hand himself in, he talks to his sister and... Um, sister says something along the lines of, well, by handing yourself in, you've already made up for part of your crime or whatever. And then, and then he's like, he disagrees with her. He says, well, I didn't commit a crime. I just killed some like, <laughs> yeah. old woman. Um, the only, yeah, it would, I think the only thing he's struggling with more is that he seems to be some, some sort of ordinary person rather than something extraordinary, but, but he still doesn't think or doesn't feel very guilty. But then he turns himself in. Then he finds out about the suicide, walks out, sees Sonia, and then everything changes. He turns around and confesses. Well, that's, I mean, I think that is her role, right? To, to either stand in for or remind him of his inner moral compass or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so I think when he sees her, I mean, also this like, there was also like this one part where, you know, he wanted to leave without her, right? Or he left without her. And then he was like wandering around town. And then he saw that she was like following him, basically. And this was this part where he there was something like he realized she was always going to be there with him or something like that. Mm -hmm. And 
in one way you can see this as this kind of romantic oh she's going to be there for him whatever but if you see her more as a symbol of his moral compass then his moral yeah. skilled or whatever is always going to be with him um and i think when she, when she when he sees her standing outside the police station or whatever um i think he's just reminded of this like it's not going away mm. Mm. that is actually an interesting way to think about it um and i think you're probably right it is indeed not very romantic but probably as you say more more it's both, yeah, the moral it's supposed to be both yeah but it's not going to leave him this reminder of, of what he's done. That's a good thought. I just had life on air, right? Yeah, well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, no, this is, I mean, this is something I want to talk to you about more, like in the last part when we just discussed the whole thing. But I've realized I had so, I've, I've, I've thought so much more about this book than any other book just because we've been talking about it. Yeah. And I definitely wouldn't have had that thought if we weren't doing <laughs> this. Um, but yeah um by the way i want to talk briefly i'm kind of i have to admit I, I, so i understand it from raskolnikov's perspective but i'm kind of disappointed that he didn't confess to porfiry petrovich because porfiry petrovich is so annoying <laughs> in the best way possible um and i wrote down one point so i really like how he so when he visits raskolnikov right he starts off again with his whole like talking about and doing whatever and just beating about the bush and not really getting to the point. But then all of a sudden, just like that, he's like, by the way, I know you killed the person. Yeah. Like he really goes really... from like, he almost plays like good cop, bad cop with alone by himself, basically. Um, I really like that as a, as a tactic that must be super effective. If this person, you feel, if you feel like, oh, this guy's so annoying, he's, he's, like he knows something, but he's not saying it, whatever. And then suddenly he just goes right at it. But what are those very also much in, Yeah, no, he's very much in control of his own emotions <laughs> in contrast to, to responding to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing I found also interesting is that at least this, there wasn't a lot of text here. So maybe it's more coincidence, but it seemed to me that. The difficult part for Raskolnikov when dealing with Porfir Petrovich was the uncertainty of what he knew. Because as soon as Porfir Petrovich said, like, yeah, I know you did it. I just, I'm just, I'm still finding evidence, but I'll get you. Or rather, you'll hand yourself in anyway. As soon as he says that, Raskolnikov, I think, becomes much calmer and clearer in his thoughts and in his speech. I felt like he was, he, I think before it was this constant thing like, oh, what does he know? you know, what's going to happen. But then suddenly when he accused him, he was like, no, didn't do it. Or I can't remember exactly what he said, but I just found that interesting. Well, he says like, very little actually, you know, and, and he listens more. And then in the end, he yeah. says something like, well, just, so you know, I didn't confess anything. <laughs> yeah. But he plays it pretty cool then. Right. As soon yeah. as like everything's on the table, he's able to deal with it again. Um, yeah. Just found that, uh, you know, I think often in, in life it is, Harder to deal with uncertainty than to have yeah. the facts. And that reminded me of that. So one thing I was thinking about is that, as I mentioned earlier, to me, the whole sister plot seemed way out of proportion, basically. To, to me, it never seemed like that was really supposed to be a big part of the story. So there's, and it really reminded me of something that Alfred Hitchcock talked about. So, uh, you know, film director Alfred Hitchcock, who made, uh, 
Now I'm forgetting all the films. The birds. Psycho, The Birds, Marnie, uh, whatever. Lots and lots of good films. Anyway, he talked about this concept of the MacGuffin. And the MacGuffin is basically something that it doesn't really matter what it is. It's just something that advances the plot. So, for example, in Psycho, the, I can't remember what her name is, but the main character steals some money in the beginning and then flees. It doesn't really matter like what the money's, f- you know, it just it's just something that gets it to flee. Um, and then stuff happens. And then after that, it's irrelevant. And to me, this, the plot with Raskolnikov's sister getting married to Lucin seemed like a MacGuffin. It's just something to, you know, he's a, he's kind of stressed out and it's just something that pushes him like over the edge. So he then commits the crime. And I'm really confused that, you know, we're not finished with the book, but we're pretty much finished with the book. And it's become such a, like throughout this, it's become such a large part with Svidigailov, the sister, the mother, Lucy, and all these people. I feel like, I don't know, was it really that relevant? Is it is it a, a genuine, interesting plot line or is it a MacGuffin that is just taken out of proportion? Well, this is why it's a six-part book over <laughs> yeah. 500 pages, 600 pages, because there are lots of different plots, right? And, and there's this one main plot, but then there are like side plots in a way. Yeah, um, but like the thing that I'm almost a bit disappointed now is that there wasn't more stuff about either Raskolnikov's guilt or his sense of am I going to get caught or like something about like I don't know it just seems to me like the sister plot is kind of not that interesting almost um, I don't know in a way of course of course it relates a lot to uh, many other things talked about such that you know the the men provide the finances basically for the women at least in that society um, at the time and how that you know affects how Svidrigailov talks to women or interacts with them to some extent. Yeah. Also basically Raskolnikov does the same with Sonia, right? He sees someone who's poor and gives her all he has basically. Um, so like it fits in, of course, thematically with a lot of the other plot lines. It just I don't know, never struck me as that interesting. Yeah. But don't you think that it's like almost like a comparison of how different people try to escape the situation. And there's this, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Raskolnikov is maybe like the, male stereotype or ne- a negative version of stereotype of applying force and violence trying to help himself and get him out of a certain situation whereas his sister although she's calculating to some extent she doesn't really ever like Lucin but she would marry him for her own good to get out of her situation but then sees it obviously that that's not the way forward so she she has some sort of character change or development in the way that she seems to realize something and also in the end she she really doesn't want to be with because i think also <laughs> why not <laughs> no he but she like wouldn't such a great guy yeah but even knowing that he might have some money such a so she seemed to have learned something. Yeah. Yeah. I just realized that it's all this question of like people getting married. Like everyone seems to be getting married to at least two people in this book at some point. Um, it just occurred to me that the two by far best men in the entire book are probably Razumikin and Porfiry Petrovich. 
Yeah. <laughs> because they're just not psychopaths, basically. That's like yeah. they're made. They're not drunkards. They're not violent. Um, yeah. They've got they've got it going. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's true. What do you think about the mother? Did she in the end kind of know what had happened but didn't want to see it or did she know that people were murdered i can't remember whether she knew about the crime itself i mean she definitely knows that some that something's really messed up right she knows that but i, I don't know whether she, she actually probably right but i think she did i mean i don't can't pinpoint the moment where she would have found out but it seems like this was common knowledge It seems like when like Razumikin would have been there and visited his sister and his mother, then he would have, or like Lucin was there, or whatever. Yeah, it seems like in one of those group scenes, it would have yeah. been mentioned or something like that. I, I mean, I think in part it's, I mean, I think in part she knows Asgondor's not going to tell her anyway, for whatever reason. And in part, I think it's because he just seems quite estranged. I think, you know, she expected. I mean, I think as, as she said, I think in part, when is it, three or whatever? Oh, I was going to meet my son again. And then she realized, like, the guy is just all over the place, a complete mess. Um, and something happened. So I think she realizes, like, that he's just someone who she, someone other than who she was expecting to meet and that they don't have this trust between them that he's going to tell her what's going to happen anyway. And also maybe that it might be for the better if she doesn't know exactly what's going on. Um, but I think, she, you know, it's also probably the thing you... It seems like she also kind of voluntarily kind of accepts it, but then again, probably doesn't have many options anyway. Yeah, I wonder. It almost to me seems like she... Either she's like super naive and really stand, puts him on a pedestal Or she just says, Oh, yeah, that's true. Actually, in the last one, she still says, like, you're going to be like a great lawyer yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah, that's true. She does say that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I read it as, I mean, she definitely knows that something's going on that's really bad, I think. But I mean, to be fair, if she says this to her son, it might be also like a last ditch attempt to, I mean, maybe she recognizes that he has a real problem with being a very average person and that maybe she's trying to, like, you know, boost his confidence or whatever. Hmm. Don't know whether 19th century Russians were big in confidence boosting, but, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, or do you want to ask more, talk more about the mother? No, that's okay. Not. I have a question. Do you think Dostoevsky ever owned a watch? Probably maybe a pocket watch. Because so a few, I don't know, two weeks ago or something, I saw on Reddit, there was, a, on Ask Reddit, there was a question which is like something like, what's a really, what's something in a novel that, or in novels that really annoys you? And one person wrote, when people write something like, and then this person, and then they looked at each other for a minute. Do you know how long a minute is? Like, that's a really long time to stare at each other. And <sighs> there's a lot of that in this part. For example, <laughs> when... I can't remember exactly. I think it's Svetrigailov and Askolnikov. I think it's them too. They talk or something. And then they sit and look at each other for like 10 minutes or something. And then there's a few other points where people just stare at each other for a minute straight. <laughs> and, oh, I can't unsee it now. I didn't, I didn't pick this up. 
Yeah, it's one of those things I think like you just like overread it until you actually like think about like mm. look at someone and count down a minute. It's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> People don't do true. that for that long. And they definitely I think Olspenko Porfir Petrovic and Raskolnikov just sit opposite each other for 10 minutes, I think it says at some point without saying anything. I was like probably not though. So I'm wondering like whether he I don't know how common like wristwatches were or pocket watches or whatever. But I wouldn't be surprised if he never actually owned a watch. I was like, mm. like you know, when you when you think something was like ages and it was only like two minutes or something. Yeah. I think there was a lot of that going on. Yeah. Well, but then maybe he just wanted to exaggerate. Well, I hope he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I have uh, only really one main point I wrote down, mm-hmm. which is my recurring. I should say, I've mentioned a few times just how much Raskolnikov doesn't have a conscience. And I think how he just doesn't care that he killed people or anything like that. Like he just doesn't have mm. any remorse. And I think in this part, it emphasizes a lot more. Yeah. Um, so first is, I think you mentioned this one earlier, uh, page 621. He's talk, you know, talking to his sister. She hugged him close. And by going off to suffer, are you not already washing away half your crime, she cried, squeezing him in her arms and kissing him. Crime? What crime? He cried in a sudden surge of fury. I murdered a vile, noxious louse, some hag of a moneylender of no use to anyone whose murder makes up for 40 sins, who sucked the juice from the poor, and that's a crime. I don't even think about it. I don't even think about washing it away. I don't care that you're prodding me with your crime, crime. Only now do I see the full absurdity of my pity cowardice my petty cowardice now when i've already decided to accept this pointless disgrace i'm despicable and talentless that's the only reason i've decided and maybe also because it's in my own interests as that man suggested that porphyry yeah and then he goes on i've shortened this part but then on 622 he says this whole idea was nowhere near as stupid as it is as it now seems in the light of failure everything seems stupid in the light of failure all i wanted was to ensure my independence to take the first step to get what I needed and let the immeasurable benefits, relatively speaking, smooth everything over. But even the first step was too much for me to cope with because I'm scum. And that's all there is to it. And I refuse to look at it your way. If I'd pulled it off, I'd have been crowned. Instead, I'm trapped. So I said, mm. no remorse there. So the, yeah, the first thing is, I think, so this is something, you know, that I just wanted to extend something that we mentioned earlier, like the question maybe of whether Zonia is supposed to stand in for his conscience or maybe she reminds him of it or something. I don't know. But like he, as I mentioned in previous parts, like he never thinks, as he says, he never thinks about the problem of what he did or something. He only thinks about, am I going to get caught? And that really upsets him. Maybe we'll talk about this more in the, when we have like a general discussion, but I feel like he has no, He's, this is not a book about morality and whether you can, you should be allowed to do those things. I think he's, he's just a narcissist or something. I don't know exactly what it is, but he just thinks he's better than everyone else and could do whatever he wants and has like no empathy or anything. And I think it becomes very clear because I think there have been some parts in the book where I wasn't sure whether he felt remorse or not, whether I felt guilty. And it wasn't, to me at least, it wasn't so clear. But in the end, it really becomes clear. He's like, no, he's not. He doesn't feel sorry for anything he's done. 
until to the very last moment where he turns around. I mean, we still don't know exactly what's going on inside of him, but something made him, seeing Sonia just made him turn around because she would have, you know, like in theory could have just walked past her. She wouldn't have been violent. She probably would have not told anybody, but, but something about her made him turn around. Do you think that's the romantic, uplifting conclusion from this whole story, that love to a penniless prostitute who you can basically control and where he can finally live out his sense of grandeur over someone else? Um, do you think that that kind of love can make you I don't think uh, so. get a sense of conscience? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know whether, like, we don't really know whether he loves her, right? Um, it's, we know that she loves him. And maybe that uh, seeing that she has absolutely no reason to love him, but she still does, makes him realize something, or it makes him, yeah, I don't know. Or just he likes the power, right? Yeah, he has, he's more. He has more money than her. I mean, <laughs> not really more, but his, he he's less desperate than she is in a way. Uh, what I it's a slightly different topic, but what I'm surprised by is that. Not a single time came the um so the the things he stolen. Nobody ever mentioned like he never went to look for it. So the money and yeah, but they talk about it, right? Yeah, they do talk about it, but it's never he never considers going there and getting it, or it's it's never really. So I mean, they know that it exists under some rock, right? I think Paul mm. Petrovich says that. I, I think because Azumikin heard it or whatever, uh, you know, heard Raskolnikov say it when he was feverish and talking in his sleep or whatever. So I wonder whether maybe he just never went there also because he knew that if he went there, people might see him. And if he knows where the, is loot the correct word, uh, is hidden, then that's basically evidence against him. But then again, I, I as I said that, I'm kind of also disagreeing with that because he could have thought it at least and he never even thought it you know he could have thought like oh i should go there no i shouldn't do that because then i get mm -hmm. caught so i mean but that's kind of isn't that don't they discuss this early on when they say like he he didn't even kill her for the money basically um, yeah he did it as a hobby mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, I have, uh, just going back briefly, last point to Raskolnikov being a terrible person. Um, I present evidence number 500, which is, okay, actually this sounds slightly less bad than when I first read it. Raskolnikov's and his sister are parting ways in the street or whatever. They walk away, she turns around and he just gestures to her to leave basically. And then he thinks... I'm being spied for, I can see it myself, he thought a minute later, ashamed of his petulant gesture towards Donya. But what must they love me so much if I don't deserve it? Oh, if only I'd been on my own and no one had loved me. This is the part now that I remembered. And I'd never loved anyone. None of this would have happened. I have to admit, when I first read this, I remembered this as him thinking like, oh, I'm too lovable. Like, I'm, I'm too loving, sorry. Like, I'm too caring. That's why I kill, kill, killed the murders. But now we're no, reading again, it doesn't sound quite I'd... as bad. No, I don't think so. I think what the way I understood it is that if he wouldn't have loved his mother and his sister, he most likely would have never committed the murder because this was the final trigger. That yeah, but that is the point though, right? You didn't kill her because you loved your mom. <laughs> you killed her because 
I don't know, something's really wrong with you and you don't mind killing old people if it suits you. You know, as I said, very in like part two or whatever, like he never even considered like earning money another way other than killing an old woman. And then yeah. as you said, as you just said, he never even took the money, right? He he makes it seem as if it's like the whole problem is that he has and receives too much love when the problem is that, I don't know, he seems to set this problem by killing old women. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do see what you mean, but I think in his mind this is still some some reason for why he's done it. Uh, maybe he's just, yeah, in this moment I think he's just telling him, oh, if I would have just been alone, I would have never done this and like I wouldn't have felt the need to and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but obviously that's not true, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's that's my, like, kind of the point, like he's pretending he's better than he is. Um, sure. By no number one saying like this is the only circumstance in which this would have happened, and secondly, yeah, I'm too I'm too loved and loving. That's why I kill mm. people. Yeah. Okay, so I mean the epilogue is what like forty pages or something, thirty pages. But it seems like it's kind of settled, right? It seems like everything's pretty clear to me. Like he's confessed, he's gonna get. Mm. I think they said either he's going to be executed or sent to Siberia. Yeah. Um, Zonya's going to, in whatever capacity, going to join him in Siberia if he goes there. Mikolai's, that's a big question why he confessed in the first place to a crime he obviously didn't do. Uh, well, Svetigailov's, uh, half the people are actually dead already. Svetigailov's dead. Obviously, the two women are dead. Marmeladov is dead. His wife's dead. Uh, yeah, the children, Zonya's step siblings or whatever, they're in this orphanage, which apparently is amazing. <laughs> At least that's the way Svetogailov yeah. sells it. Um, seems like everything's pretty much, I don't know, the sister mother probably gonna, I don't know, what do you think? They're just gonna return home or they're gonna marry, she's gonna marry Razumikin? I think they're gonna stay in St. Petersburg. I think they've changed, at least the sisters changed. Uh, but I think she would go back and try to resume her old life. You don't think she would do that? No, I don't think okay. so. Do you think she's going to get a new haircut to symbolize her personal change? Probably. <laughs> Highlights. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, but I think she will stay with uh, Razumikin. I think that seems like a good match. Yeah, he seems right. He seems to have, you know... When he wants more money, he doesn't go, I should murder old ladies. But he thinks, I should translate. I mean, he's also kind of frauding people because he says, I don't even speak German or whatever and translate stuff anyway. So in a way, he's <laughs> not exactly doing things properly either. But it seems definitely a step up from yeah. uh, very boring and calculating Lucin from murderous Vidrigailov hmm. and whatever else. Profil Petrovich hopefully gets a raise. I like him now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think everything is just going to be. I expect only like a cl conclusion of of things rather than yeah, exactly. Any. It's probably going to be like a, twenty years later, and everything was, and then it's yeah. like a fairy tale, and everyone lived happily ever after. Everything resolved itself. Um, yeah, but I wonder whether there's there might be some hint to whether he actually regrets or whether he now feels guilty for the murder or whether he purely turned around because he saw Sonia and 
I don't know. Like what? Maybe there's going to be some. Does he actually feel it now? Does he feel guilty, or was it just because he doesn't want to disappoint Sonia? I wouldn't be surprised if he spends the last chapter in Siberia going, oh, fucking Zonya made me confess I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> it really wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Number one, who ruined his life? Actually, fun fact, always women. Number one, it was his sister for marrying, <laughs> for going to marry that stupid Lucid. Number two, it's uh, whatever her name is. Uh, the the pawnbroker for having all this money and being mean. Number three, I wouldn't be surprised if it's now her. Yeah. If it's now Zonya for making him confess. Interesting. We'll see. Nice.